Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Gordon Glenn Watson uh, joins us, uh, a man who I imagine would have cut a fine rug in the eighties. Uh, Gordon, what was what would have been your your go to uh, your go to track on the dance floor? Uh, go to track in the nineteen eighties. <laughs> Goodness me, you put me on the spot. Probably something from Footloose, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> ah, great call, great call. Kevin Bacon, uh, six degrees of separation, never too far away from him. Oh, look at that! You've even got it now, Gordy. There you go. There you go, mate. There you go. How's Spain treating you? Oh, it's been intense. Uh, the team's trained very, very hard at a wonderful facility, the Football Salou Sports Complex, just outside of Barcelona. They played two friendly games as part of preparations for Morocco, and uh, both games were lost by a goal to nil. But the big picture focus is process and progression ahead of that game with Ala. On February the first, yeah, I mean, and that is the big countdown, right? I mean, I, I know it's it's great you've uh, you had a game against uh, Royce FC, um, a Spanish team, and you've 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 played Jin uh, Book, the uh, the Korean champions. You got Barcelona B tomorrow, which I mean, as we know, that that uh, team is an absolute farm for for talent. But uh, this is all all pointing towards that February first game, right in Morocco. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the game with uh, Royce was pretty much played with the players straight off the plane. So there was a lot of fatigue. There was a lot of uh, jet-lagged people involved with that game. And they look, Royce were a very, very good team. I think if they played in the New Zealand system, they would be uh, challenging for all the honours. Um, so it was an eye-opener, as Albert Riera described it. And, uh, you know, all the players got a run. Um, that was the point of the exercise. The Junbuk game was very interesting. Uh, Junbuk fielded a very strong side. They had uh, Song Min Kyu, Moon Seon Min, uh, Cho Gyu Sung. These players had all played at the uh, World Cup in Russia and Qatar. And uh, I, I spoke to a Korean football uh, media person, uh, showed them the lineup, and he said, Yeah, that's a very strong side. So Albert Riera went with a team that I think started is probably going to start to resemble the one that may take the pitch on February the 1st, and it was just a last-minute goal. Um, a fair result would have been 1-1. Uh, Ryan DeVries had an opportunity that was tipped over the crossbar. So the confidence and the, the positivity in the camp after that game was pretty high. Um, and, you know, the feet are on the ground. But Jumbuk, yeah, they got a game from us. And given, you know, Auckland City is now six, nearly seven weeks um, in, in off-season, uh, the two efforts have been pleasing, but Barcelona B tomorrow is going to be very tough. Um, we took the team into Barcelona to the Camp Nou to watch uh, Barcelona play Getafe in La Liga. And our host said to us that it's reasonable to expect that maybe three or four, four or five first-team fringe players could appear. So, again, um, it's going to be a, a tough game, but that's exactly what Albert Riera wants. He's used this phrase putting the players outside of their comfort zone to get growth from them. And so far, so good. But this is another big step. Uh, Barcelona B will be a, a very tough, tough exercise. And that's the thing. I mean, in Spain, it's it's different to, you know, uh, what a lot of people would be used to from the UK in that, 
you know, the, the Liverpool reserve team, you know, play in a reserve league. We're o- over in Spain, Barcelona B, I think, are in the third tier. They, so they play, you know, those young guys are all playing uh, effectively the Spanish third division. Yeah, essentially. And when you say Spanish third division or even fourth, fifth tier, you're talking about professional clubs. Mm. And you're talking about a, a massive football country with hundreds of millions of people in it. So we have to be realistic when you take an Auckland City team and, and these players have jobs. Um, these players have had to get time off work. It's incredible the effort that has been put in by them, the sacrifices they've made. Um, and I suppose, ironically, uh, Rick, if you think about it, back in the uh, talking about the 80s and 90s, the New Zealand football framework used to have reserve teams in, in the central, northern and southern leagues. So that player movement between those teams um, was, was quite fluid. And, and that's what happens here. There's an argument for that in wider European football for, for reserve teams or, or age group teams to be included in, in the pyramid system. So, yeah, it's it's an exciting experience. The game's been played at um, Estadio Johan Cruyff, which is – we uh, went past it in the bus on the way to the Camp Nou, and it's it would grace any part of New Zealand with its presence. It's a, it's a facility that has multiple pitches. It's got a – a uh, couple of decent grandstands in there, and it's just bedecked in Barcelona colours. So you have no, you're under no illusion uh, as to you know who you're playing and what that will mean. So another exciting experience to embrace. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely massive. I, I did see that uh, Jordan Vale uh, said that some of the kids he teaches, the teachers, some of the kids he teaches were giving him grief about how he's going to get skinned by this player and that player. <laughs> Yeah, and that's the reality. I mean, this is the reality. If you look through our team, we've got real estate agents, we've got a painter decorator, we've got sales reps, you know, and, and Jordan being a teacher. And, you know, last year, they played nearly 48 games. And for two months solid, we played three games a week for, for two months. So in order to maintain a standard, players have to make sacrifices. And when you're coming up against some of the world's best, or some of the best from the continent of Africa, as we will be, you you look at the challenge in front of you and you think, goodness me, how, how are we going to close those gaps? And, you know, that's the whole reason that we're here in Spain, trying to, to get that preparation so that we give a good representation of football in New Zealand, a good representation of uh, football in Oceania, uh, because you don't want to be embarrassed. That's, you know, that's always possible. At, at this level of the game, yeah, yeah, it is hundred percent. And I mean, that the other thing is that uh, you know, the, not only the workload, but it sets you up well. I know it's it's a tough ask on the players, but they, this is where they get their reward. They get these experiences, right? They get to play in these these great stadiums. Uh, but I mean, you're effectively playing a professional season. I mean, that's you know, forty odd games is what you'd play if you're a pro in Europe. Well, it's it's not just in the men's space as well. I, you know, I commentated a few of the National Women's League games um, over the tail end of the year, and the women's teams are playing between 28, 35 games, you know, including uh, regional league and then the, the final competition itself, which was two rounds. And it has an effect, not just on the players and the coaching staff, but clubs have to be operating all year round. And it, it places pressure on your work life, your home life, and, and again, sacrifices have to be made. But, you know, to talk about women's football briefly, um, Taylor O'Brien playing for the Football Ferns after a great season with Eastern Suburbs is uh, the reward she gets for playing in that system. But I imagine the sacrifices would be huge. Um, the standards that Suburbs set 
in the women's space uh, extremely high. So, again, uh, after one year of, of, of that type of football in New Zealand, um, there's a lot of tired people, but we have to go again in 2023, both men and women. Um, and, and certainly Auckland City, Wellington Olympic, uh, Auckland United, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, it is tough, man. It is tough. But uh, that's where you want to be, right? That's what you want to be doing. You want to be excelling at the top end. And, you know, that's the other thing. I mean, uh, I know we, we've been talking about Auckland City, but to slightly um, uh, deviate there, Millie Clegg, uh, I don't know if you've been able to see it, but the, the Phoenix women beat Canberra 5-0 on the weekend, their first one of the season. And Millie Clegg, who signed on an amateur deal so that she doesn't jeopardise her future of a college scholarship in the US, uh, was absolutely sensational. Yeah, and, and this is this is the this is the reward that the players are striving to obtain by you know putting in personal sacrifice, and and our players are no different. Um, like I said, a lot of them are full time employed, part time students, part time working. Some of them are here on um, you know annual leave without pay. Uh, some of the staff are here doing that. And, and why are we doing it? Because we're aspirational. We want to push ourselves. And I think for, from a player's point of view, you're only young once. You know, if you're 25, 26, 27, 28, or late teens, early 20s, you're still very young as a person, as a human being. And you get one shot at, you know, um, being an athlete. You can't do it, or very rarely can you do it in your 30s. It takes a special, unique circumstance for that to happen. So... People have criticised um, players uh, for for making those sacrifices or, or failing to understand the sacrifices involved and in, in critiquing them. They don't really understand what drives and motivates young people to strive to be the best version of themselves in their chosen sport. And I think that's one of the frustrating things that I experienced, you know, listening and hearing some of the things that were said and written about. Um, Auckland City and stuff, for example. So, you know, we just stay focused on on what we're doing. We're trying to enable uh, the players to have a platform that they can perform in. And so far, so good. So far, so good indeed. Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little bit more about what uh, what awaits. Uh, how much do you know about uh, your your Egyptian opponents? How much uh, tape of the boys watched? I know Albert will probably have been pouring over it for weeks on end. Albert's watched everything. Uh, every Al Ali game from this season, he's watched it. Uh, the players had an opportunity to watch Al Ali play Zamalek, which is uh, a big Egyptian derby, mm. uh, just three days ago. Um, Al Ali won that game three nil. They're coached by a Swiss um, Swiss German coach uh, Marcel Kohler, who had success with Baal. Uh, he won a Bundesliga two title uh, earlier in his career, and he has uh, experience in coaching the Austrian national team. So. They're very strong with the ball, very aggressive. They start games at a, a um, phenomenal pace. First 10 minutes, you have to hang on. Um, without the ball, very defined defensive structure. In fact, they're probably more disciplined without the ball than they are with it. With the ball, they play a lot of high-risk football and they do turn over possession a lot. So there's things in there that perhaps you know Auckland City can look to try and exploit. Um, in the Zamalek game, one of the things that was uh, fairly noticeable was that they do get frustrated if things aren't going their way. They haven't lost a game this season domestically. They've won the Egyptian Super Cup uh, very early on, and they're in the group stage of the African 
Champions League. Um, but in the Zamalek game, after an hour, it was nil-nil, and you could start to see them getting at each other. Now, our experience at past FIFA Club World Cups playing African teams, this can be uh, a, a, something to exploit if the match situation is sort of on a on a knife edge or it could go one way, could go the other, then there are opportunities. So I actually spoke to Aniot Zubi Karai and uh, after we played John Book and he said to me, we've got a chance. He said, for sure, we've got a chance. Maybe one chance, first half or second. But he said there will be opportunities as long as we can stay solid, make it difficult to play through our lines and, and then we see where it takes us. Yeah, and I mean, the good thing is that the, with the way the Auckland, Auckland City is set up on and off the field, you've got a lot of experience there. I mean, you've got Ivan Vesalic, of course, who's, who played at World Cups and played uh, professionally in Holland for a long time. Uh, Zubi Karai, you mentioned, played professionally in Spain, played in La Liga, Albert played there as well. And even some of the, you know, you look at go through the team, you know, uh, Mike Den has played professionally in uh, in Holland and, and Nico Boxel's had a professional career, Cam and we know as well. So there's a lot of that experience there that you can take uh, into this game. Yeah, well, those are the things that you look to. The whole group has got experience in the sport uh, whether it be on the pitch or off the pitch. And so there's a, a tacit understanding of the challenge in front of us. And everybody works very, very hard to enable the players to be able to do the best that they can. And look, we have limitations. Like we're, here at Football Salou, we're sharing the facilities with Grasshopper Zurich, um, Junbuk as well. Uh, there was a team that came in from the United States, uh, Utah Celtic, Um so, and there are many, many other teams here as well. And the resources that they have are noticeably better than what we bring to the table. And um, so you just have to knuckle down and say, well, this is what we have. It's on a shoestring budget. And, you know, you can't complain about it. Everybody's relentlessly positive. You have to be. Um and so, you know, this is this is the the reality. Like I said, there's there's players in our um, in our group who have jobs. I mean, Jordan Vale is a great example of a guy who starts his day at seven thirty in the morning, and then he he has to train three times a week. He's not getting home till eight eight thirty um, in the evening. So, the players are enjoying the fact that they don't have to worry about work. But you know, this personal financial issues and, and life issues as well that, that crop up when you're away from home. Um, it's a real underdog story and one that we've been in many, many times in the past. So hopefully this experience bodes well. If we get past Al Ali, um, Auckland City, Seattle Sound is up next, the uh, MLS champions and uh, CONCACAF mm -hmm. uh, champions as well. Uh, that, that is, that is going to be a great tie if we can get that far. Well, it's one thing, at a, one one step at a time. I know that's a that, that's a cliche, and I think we've put all of our effort into focusing on that that one game and then seeing what happens. But yeah, I mean, I, I had a look at the Seattle Sounders squad, and it's just littered with players from all over the world, mainly the American continent, from the northern tip to the southern tip. Um, they've had a, a fantastic season. They they get big crowds. They've got finance. It. Look, if we'd maybe drawn a, a Major League Soccer side 10 years ago or 15 years ago, um, it might have been more homegrown. Yeah. And therefore you see styles that might be a bit similar in fit. We'll, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Um, 
you know, because I guess your next question beyond that is Real Madrid. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, that is just fantasy land, um, quite surreal. Uh, in 2014, we were one kick of the ball away from playing them in the final. Can you imagine that? Like saying that out loud even sounds ridiculous today. But that was what uh, happened in Morocco eight years ago. Yeah, I remember it um, well. I think didn't Ivan Vislic win uh, the bronze boot for the best, the third best player at the tournament for that tournament? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's that famous photo now. It, it's uh, perhaps iconic within our football community of Ivan standing on the podium with Cristiano Ronaldo and Sergio Ramos. I mean, it's you know Ivan at that time was I think 39 years old and he had played almost every single minute um, of that competition and. You know, uh, these are the dreams that drive our players forward today because our team is vastly different from the one that played in Morocco eight years ago. I mean, I think if you look back to the starting 11 or the, the usual starting 11, we were either seven Kiwis plus uh, four foreign players or six plus five. That now has changed because of the regulations uh, in the New Zealand domestic system now that, that mean you have to have under 20 players and mainly homegrown. So it will be a very New Zealand flavour to everything that we do um, with, you know, a handful of the guys who, who were here in 2014, uh, Ryan DeVries, Emiliano Tade. But, I mean, these guys are Kiwis through and through now because they've been in our country for over 10 years. I think Emmy's been in New Zealand football since 2007. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> one one step at a time, I think. Yeah, once yeah, indeed, indeed. I, I do remember actually. Uh, there was a photo as well of Ika Casillas, the uh, Real Madrid and Spain goalkeeper at the time, asking Jacob Spoonley to swap shirts. If I remember that correctly, how that worked. <laughs> that's what that's what Spoons told me anyway. Yeah, that, that's the Spoonley narrative. Eh? <laughs> yeah. um, well, look, we all we all indulged in, in that part of it because it was so fantastical. I mean, I, I remember uh, after the game with Cruz Azul, and we were in the post match. Area. It was a double header, and, and Real Madrid had just arrived to play San Lorenzo. And Luka Modric, who had played with Mario Billin, uh, Croatia under 20s, these two are just chatting away to each other as if it's like, hi, how are you? Hey, mate, you know, all this sort of very casual catching up with each other. And Luka Modric said to Mario, What are you doing after the game? And he said, Well, we have to go home. And Luka Modric dropped this absolute butte. And he said, well, why don't you get your private jet to divert to Madrid and we can all catch up together? And Mario just burst out laughing. He said, no, it doesn't work that way. It's a commercial flight. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like uh, I had a selfie with um, Modric. I don't normally do that in those spaces, but it was just the it was just the right moment. And all the players did that. I remember there's, there's a photo of Sam Burfoot, who's now playing his football with Birkenhead, having a, a selfie with Ronaldo. And they were very accommodating. It was... Ronaldo said to one of us, I think it might have been James Pritchard, I could be wrong, but he said to, to James, how did you guys manage to do that? We watch your games and incredible achievement. I mean, what a what an endorsement. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, James at that time was running his own um, sports coaching company, like he's self-employed <laughs> and Cristiano Ronaldo is Cristiano Ronaldo. But yeah, that, that, this is the surreal nature of, of um, the football world that we we live and operate in, and it, it's changing rapidly. Um, there's more New Zealanders playing professional football, and you know a lot of our players have had a taste of it um, for a couple of years, some of them, and then it hasn't worked out for whatever reason. They come home, they want to play in an environment that tries to replicate that 
level of the game as best we can. And, uh, you know, it's not <laughs> – sometimes there's not a lot of reward for, for that sacrifice. So, yeah, I mean, we're in that dreamscape again and we're trying to craft our own remake, if you like, of what happened in 2014. But the chances of that are slim. I mean, that's that's the truth. Mm, yeah, well, uh, mate, you, you'll have a backing from back here, of course. It's going to be live on Sky, I take it? I believe so. I would certainly hope so. Um, it's a big football year for New Zealand with the women's uh, FIFA Women's World Cup. There's the FIFA Women's World Cup playoff. There's three football ferns friendlies. Um, and, you know, if, if Sky were picking up the FIFA Club World Cup game um, with Auckland City and Al Ali, of course, I mean, that you would hope that that just makes logical sense to keep that momentum momentum going. Um, Cam Howison actually has an interview with uh, FIFA TV later today uh, solely on the FIFA Women's um, World Cup and what he thinks of that. And he's certainly going to be putting in um, a, a good word for everything that's to, to happen later in the year in Australia and New Zealand on that front. Yeah, well, looking forward to it, mate. Hey, listen, thanks for getting up bright and early. I know everybody else is getting their beauty sleep in, mate, but you, you pulled a short <laughs> straw to get up and talk to us. I really appreciate it, mate. Uh, go well, and I uh, I will be, uh, for one, will be watching and cheering you on from back here. Oh, good man. Look, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure, and we'll do it again soon. Sounds good, and uh, yeah, maybe just work on those footloose dance moves again, and we can, uh, we, 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 can, we can see it live when you get back to New Zealand. Well, I think Matt Payne, the physio, doesn't need that on his uh, work list to pick up the injuries. But yeah, sure. I mean, I'll I'll take that in the spirit you intended. (laughs) (laughs) Good stuff. Gordon Glenn Watson there from Auckland City uh, in Spain, getting ready to take on Barcelona B tomorrow and then head off to the Club World Cup in Morocco, that game against Al Ali, February the 